0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
3: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms
1: and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Welcome to another week of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you great content week after week. And this week, again, we have another amazing comedian, Mr. Josh Johnson. Josh was a writer on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. He's just released his new record, I Like You, on Comedy Central Records. And he is absolutely hilarious. Uh, very, very uh, interesting guy. I was actually pretty shocked at how the interview went because we didn't end up really talking about (laughs) uh, a lot of things I thought we would talk about. It went a lot of different directions, and it was absolutely awesome. We had a great time and uh, went down a lot of avenues, a lot of strange places, and and, uh, got on a lot of tangents. But all in all, I think it went really well. And uh, that's what this show's all about. It's just conversation between two people You guys get to listen in. You guys get to, you know, sometimes we can submit questions or things like that or guest ideas, but for the most part, you know, podcasting is just about listening to something, learning something, uh, enjoying something while you're doing something else. I don't think there's a lot of people that just sit and listen to a podcast. I think you're usually doing something different, whether it's yard work or a commute or a flight or uh, at work on your headphones or, or on the stereo. So. Definitely an interesting, interesting time uh, in our lives right now. Things are going crazy all over the world uh, in this country. Uh, weather, I mean, just insane stuff going on, guys. And I really hope this show's an escape for you. I really don't like to talk about those things on the show because I like it to be something you can listen to and escape from that time and, and uh, that horrible stuff that's going on. So I thought it'd be a great idea to put this conversation with Josh up this week. And give everyone a good laugh, and uh, turn someone on to you know turn you guys on to a comedian you may not have heard of before, and uh, I mean I discovered him through this podcast as well, and uh, just an awesome dude. So really stoked to have you guys back for another week. I know this interview went a little long, so I'm going to keep the intro short so we can get as much as we can on Adobe and and uh, everything else as usual. The full unedited episode will be up on iTunes immediately following that airing. So. Definitely rate and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss any of these episodes. Uh, it'll just come right into your, your feed. Um, subscribe to the RSS feed and everything on the website, peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. Everywhere, literally everywhere you can find podcasts. You can find us. I know some, I've looked at the stats and there's some interesting places where people have downloaded the show. But here's the cool thing: after looking at the stats uh, for like the year-end numbers, we have been downloaded in literally every country I can imagine. As far as Iraq, Egypt, I mean Chile, everywhere—it's crazy, crazy to see people are listening to the show in all these different countries. And the the reach that the show has has just been mind-bending. Um, and I'm really stoked to see that, and it makes me feel great to know that I'm being able to reach out to, to all corners of the globe. Um, and, you know, and hopefully bring some enjoyment to you guys and, and some stories and, you know, some awesome guests with some cool shit to say. And, uh, just love, love, love you guys. I really appreciate you coming back. Patreon.com slash peer pleasure podcast is the pleasure seekers club. Definitely head over there join the Pleasure Seekers Club, throw some money at the show. We've got merch coming this month. Uh, it'll be available in the store, but if you're signed up on the Patreon, uh, there's certain tiers where you get merch every few months, and that's a good way to support the show and get a surprise in the mail You know, every few months, whether it be a t-shirt, a flag, a patch, you know, uh, stickers, buttons, all sorts of stuff, and, and the communication will be really good around that, what's coming your way and when, uh, when you sign up at that Patreon. Um, the Pleasure Seekers Club, Patreon.com slash Peer Pleasure Podcast. Go support the show. We definitely appreciate it. it. It means more than you know. You know, we do all this, you know, the show's free and and we do all this every week. It's a lot of work. And I really, really appreciate those of you who have signed up so far and those of you who reached out on PayPal and uh, you know, just reaching out through email saying I love the show. Uh, really, really appreciate it. So I want to get into my conversation with Josh Johnson here, so definitely check out the Patreon, uh, check out the uh, PeerPleasurePodcast.com for all the updates, S- rate and subscribe to the show. Keep your eyes peeled for merch coming up in the store, uh, hopefully this month uh, we're in the works on that right now. And uh, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Josh Johnson.
0: I actually got to do this show with these other comics, they liked to me a lot. So they brought me along with them to do the show, and we were gonna get paid a ton of money, gonna each get a hotel room. It was gonna be the best thing that ever happened to me. We get there. There was a terrible miscommunication with the Booker. We don't have four hotel rooms. We have one hotel room with one bed. <laughs> and we all just got in it like it made sense. <laughs> so now it's me and three of the biggest dudes in the world in one bed. And I knew them, so I knew I didn't want to sleep with them because I knew we all had sleep disorders. (laughs) I have insomnia. I was up all night. Man that slept right here had sleep apnea. This man died three times that night. (laughs) Man, the middle is a six foot, eight pound black man. This is how he snored all night, nonstop, whole night. (laughs) Uh. The entire night. Terrific. Man, at the end right here has night terrors. He's a screamer. I don't know what he's scared of, because he's bigger than everything. But he screamed so hard and so loud, he woke up people the next hotel room over, but not himself. So, all night, all yeah, was this dude right here making noises, this dude right here moaning, this dude right here screaming, and me laying horizontal at the bottom of the bed like a dog. So, all I heard all night, all I heard the entire night was, Uh uh uh, yeah. uh, 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 uh,
2: uh, So, Josh Johnson, welcome to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. How you doing?
0: Doing great.
2: How about you? Doing great, man. Just got uh, out of some traffic a little early, and um, glad we could start early, because you guys being on the East yeah, Coast, sure. it's, it's tough doing the evening interviews, especially if you got stuff going on, so appreciate that. Oh, yeah the willingness to, uh, be flexible on that and, and, uh, right on. Well, uh, so you just released your album. I like you. Um, you've got a quite impressive, you know, collection of material. I've been, uh, listening to it quite a bit. I've, uh, I was telling Anthony DeVito who I had on the show, uh, about a week ago, um, that I had reached out to Jess, uh, about another comedian, uh, that wasn't available. They weren't doing anything. And, and, uh, it was just literally like a cold, cold email. And, uh, but there, Jess was like, Hey, I've got these other two comedians that have stuff coming out. I was like, cool, send me their stuff. And she sent it over and it's absolutely hilarious. And, uh, it was it's like one of those like little discovery moments where it's like, you know, I, I had not heard either of you guys and now I've been listening to it, you know, for the last two, three weeks. And it's been fantastic. So, um, I wanted to know a little bit about you, where you grew up, uh, You know what your childhood was like. Do you have a uh, kind of your story?
1: Uh, I mean, I grew up in Louisiana, so I was born. And so I went to school and college in Louisiana, and then I uh, moved to Chicago to start doing comedy and was in Chicago for three years, and then I uh, uh, moved to New York, like at the end of 2015.
2: okay and did you is that when you uh got the job with the Tonight show or was it did you just move to New York to move mm-hmm. to New York
1: yeah that was before I moved to New York to move uh I got the job at Fallon in 2016 uh so yeah just been trying to learn how to do stand-up since 2012 and then got you know a little bit better every day and just been trying to build a good you know
2: body of work yeah well you definitely have something going i mean you de- you definitely have uh, you know your on stage demeanor is is really endearing um that's one thing i noticed right away that in your timing i mean uh the first thing she sent me was the uh, the tonight show performance um and one thing i noticed right away was i loved the delivery i mean it was just this like warm kind of it kind of invites you in and then you every once in a while hit with something big where it just it's even more dynamic, I think, from your from your, you know, cool, calm demeanor into where you do like the uh uh when you had to sleep in the same bed with all yeah, those cookies. Yeah. That was, that was absolutely hilarious and, and uh you know, is that something you really when you started out and you said in 2012 when you've been learning how to do stand up is that something you looked into or is that something you developed as far as that demeanor on stage
1: Uh, I I guess it kind of just came naturally I don't remember really trying to learn to do whatever it is people see Mm -hmm. I think if anything if I thought about it enough I'd ruin it
2: (laughs) yeah because I I mean it's it just plays out perfectly for, uh, for your style. I mean, it's, it's, it's your own thing. It's, it's, uh, I know some people get, you know, really loud on stage and that are way calm off stage, or, you know, this is how I'm going to be as a comedian, but it seems like, it seems more natural uh, the way you're doing it. Um, and talking to you now for the first time, you know what I mean? So, um, what got you into comedy? What got you going that direction?
1: Um, I don't think I was good at anything else. So I think mean, it naturally sort of felt the most, um, it, it felt the most natural to go in that direction because I, you know, studied design when I was in college and stuff. And I, I was all right at it, but I wasn't like, you know, any sort of like prodigy. Uh-huh. And in that, I was like, well, if my real job job is going to be design, which is just as freelance as comedy, then like there's really very little point in not just going with the thing that's more fun that I like more. I mean, I feel like everything kind of flows. Everything kind of happened naturally and including me getting into it. I think I just, I saw up from a young age and, and I always thought it was cool And I knew I wanted to make it a job. I wasn't exactly sure how, but I um, had always felt that. And then there just kind of came this time as a young adult where I was like, oh, well, I don't know if I'll make any money doing design. I don't know if I'll make any money doing comedy, but I really do have to pick one.
2: And so when with, with that, I mean, did you start doing I mean, did you just start writing down ideas in a notebook? Did you I mean how did you how did you come to doing stand up? Going to open mics and being- I mean, Yeah,
1: I wrote down ideas in notebooks since I was like thirteen. Uh-huh. And I never knew what it was gonna be. Like it, it wasn't stand up what I was writing. It was just like, Oh, this is this is something weird and this is something that bothers me or you know, like uh I think I just started out writing about things that bothered me, not always in an in an annoying way, but just like, oh, I, I don't feel like anyone ever talked about this. And then um, I I did that so long that it did kind of come naturally when it was time to create a new set or work on do ten minutes or something. It's just I've been doing that aspect for years, and then the actual like stage um, stage work I hadn't done until you know i moved to chicago really like i had done some school talent shows and stuff but nothing substantial and nothing to really build off of
2: okay so from all this journaling i mean kind of i guess you could call it journaling maybe uh, you have i mean gobs of material to, to go back to and write from i would imagine from all these writings you did since you know 13
1: you know when I when I look back, some of it is some of it is almost usable, and the rest is absolute trash. Because like <laughs> I wasn't writing like a comic; I was just writing as like a thirteen year old that was upset with everything. Yeah. So like I mean, I'm just now finding out that sometimes your parents lie for no reason. So like, even though those can be interesting things to get into, yeah, uh, it's not necessarily you know, it's not necessarily a definite that because I have. Notebooks on notebooks on notebooks of like thoughts that uh, one notebook would have any one idea worth using. You know, like I still do it sometimes where even now I have this, uh, this thing that's been bothersome where like I can't, I just can't deal with, uh, celebrity level hot people. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Cause like, cause they're so hot that they think the world's a good place. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like like they're they're so hot that like they don't understand rejection, which is like most of our experience. Like most people experience the most rejection. It's why there's a fear of it. Oh yeah. And I and and so like as I thought about that more, I was just kinda like, Yeah, I don't I don't know if I can condone like just hanging out with really, truly, just insanely hot people. You know, it's like, it's too much because you're talking about it. Like when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I was not, I did not have any money as a kid. Like we grew up, like we weren't the poorest of the poor, but like, you know, money could be tight at times. And I knew a kid who complained to me, this is a complaint, right? Yeah. He complained to me that his parents who gave him this decision as a 12 year old kid, his parents made him decide whether the whole family was going to go to Greece or he was going to go to space camp. And he was just, like, so annoyed and mulling it over for me. And I just had this incredible urge to blast him in the face. I didn't do anything. I just sat there. But, like, that's what talking to a hot person is like all the time. Because they're like, oh, people just keep, like, hitting on me. And it's like, as someone who has gone hungry for consecutive days, I will never feel bad that people are actively trying to feed you. Yeah. Like, and I, and I think that like, even like that was something I wrote down cause it was like bothering me. And that's what I've pretty much been doing, you know, since I was 13 and it wasn't stand up; It was just like things I think about, but I do think it made the transition easier, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, re- it's, it's relatable. For 90% of the – I mean, put it this way. So uh, something similar on on my end. So my wife has been wanting to do this world naked bike ride thing forever, right? And she's done it a couple times. She finally talked me into going. I didn't go naked, but we went to the world naked bike ride here in Portland, Oregon, right? And mm-hmm. we get there, and she immediately just everything off, right? And I'm standing there in shorts and a T-shirt on some little kid's mountain bike that we borrowed because we don't own bikes, so I'm six foot five, three hundred and sixty-eight pounds. Like it was hilarious. Anyway, I'm looking around, and I should be like, "Wow, there's all these, you know, naked people. Awesome." I was convinced that literally 05 percent of the general public is attractive. It was horrible, and you you just picture like it's it's just hilarious. Like the the. The amount of, of uh, just bravado that people have and everything else, I mean, those hot people are such a small percentage, but at the same time, your stuff becomes more relatable. It's a, kind of the same thing where you're frustrated about this. When you go into a, into a comedy club, I probably 98% of the people there relate to it, and the other 2% are those hot people that are like, oh, fuck him, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly, because it's like, I think, you know, it's the same thing with driving, where, like, everyone is willing to admit that the world is full of terrible drivers, but nobody thinks it's them. Yes. So, like, no matter what city I go to in America, I can be like, man, you guys drive terribly, and everyone will kind of, like, chuckle, (laughs) because they think it's not them. But it has to be somebody. Like, I'm not driving. I only take the train or a bus. So, like, I know it's not me, but if you're in a car... And you think it can't be you? You might even be the driver.
2: Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like if you're the bad if you're the bad roommate, you know, and, or you're the roommate that can't keep anybody, you know, living with them. You are the bad roommate. It's can you realize it that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know. It's like that's a, that's a main. Not I wouldn't say it's a trope, but it is. It is a facet of comedy where everyone is willing to admit there's idiots, but like. Not anyone in my circle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, 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 no one, I don't think people think they're geniuses, but they definitely don't think that they're dumb. And so it kind of makes you wonder who are all the dumb people? Like, cause if you're even willing to admit, like, like, and I do it all the time. It's like, if you're even willing to admit that you're a little bit dumb, you're already a tier above the dumbest person. <laughs> But you kind of know, yeah. like, like, like I know I should read more. I, I know it. I, I can feel it. I can, when I'm talking and I run out of words as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I should have read more
2: books. <laughs> the bank is empty.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, like when you're a kid, I don't know if you've experienced this or like if you have kids or anything, but when you're talking to a, to a four-year-old telling a story, they do this thing. Where they're thinking faster than they can speak, and so they're, they, they, the words are coming, but they're not—they're they're not readily available. Yep. So the kids will just go and 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 um 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 just to still be talking, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Because they have no idea that they can, you know, <laughs> that they can do something else. And <laughs> as an adult, it's scary because I have all the words and I know how to use them, and I'll still sometimes mid conversation my turn to talk just run out of words <laughs> it's horrifying it's like it's it, it's one of those things I was talking with my roommate today about how like I every once in a while you do get the scare in comedy like if things aren't going well where you're like okay maybe I should learn to code you know like maybe I gotta get into like a side gig just to stay afloat so that it's okay if if I'm not just killing the clubs across the country but when it comes to coding it's like I know that I'm going to be so intimidated that I don't that I either like try not to take it seriously or just like blow it off at first. But then when I really sit down and try to learn how to code, what if I can't do it? Because then I just have to sit there with a book about coding and be like, "Oh, I'm dumb."
2: Yeah, you don't want to. Be, like, you don't want I'm too realize dumb it. to
1: code. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I'll do anything to stave off learning how to code. Because what if I can't? And then I'm just dumb. I'm just a dumb man, you know? Because, like, even, it, like, I feel like being smart is exactly like uh, like being an athlete, where it's like there's some people who just have natural talent and the rest is hard work. But even with all the hard work in the world, there's very few people in the population that will ever be Olympic runners, you know?
4: True, yeah.
1: Which which means that, like, you're just slow. But, you know, you're, you're working hard and your legs work but you're slow and i'm worried that i'm like that but with my brain
2: (laughs) your whole career is going to be based on not wanting to find out you're an idiot yeah yeah
1: just like look yeah you you know how to use words you make people laugh but you're slow
2: yeah i get it i get it and The other thing that drives me nuts along the lines of the hot people is, my wife has watched in the past the Kardashians or whatever, and she doesn't watch it regularly, but I've seen it. And all they do the entire time is talk about how stressed out they are. And they're literally sitting in this mansion just hanging out, probably slept in until whenever the hell, and they're just so stressed out right now. That's That could be the script for the whole thing. I'm so stressed out right now. And it's like, what do you have to be stressed about?
1: Well, that's the thing, though, is that, like, people need, uh, no matter how it seems to other people, like, people need adversity. And, like, if you haven't had much, it's exactly like working out, where it's like there's a power lifter out there who can lift 500 pounds, but when you put 600 in front of him, he just can't pick it up. Yeah. And then you could do the same thing with me, where it's like I can lift 100 pounds, but if you make it 200, it's going to be a struggle. And even though 200 and 600 are very different, we're both very different people that haven't had the same amount of struggle. And so they're like having to take out the trash and knowing that the thing you have to do and you have to do it, that's their personal struggle. You yeah. Know? Personal hell, and it yeah. looks yeah, it looks insane to us. Cause it's like, look, you're good looking and you have money. So like you've got two of the, whatever, three things anyone could ever want, you know? Yeah. And, and you're stressed out, so if you're stressed out, who's winning? You know? Sure. Sure. But I think as humans, they just they as humans you need a thing. Like no one you wouldn't even go see watch a movie that has no adversity in it. Like even even a comedy has a problem, you know? Yeah. So I think that they just have some very minute problems that then become their biggest problem because it is their biggest problem.
4: Yeah.
2: That makes a
1: lot of sense a it's great like, point. Yeah, it's like when when hot people get broken up with and they actually lose their mind. Yeah. Like that because cause it's not supposed to happen. Yeah. Because it's just not hot people leave when they're done with you. You don't break up with hot people. And so then they don't they may not even know it, but then in the breakup they're like, "But I'm hot." You know. <laughs>
2: Man, yeah, it's it's exactly the that's exactly right. I mean, that's a great point. I had a, you know a friend that in the hot realm that you know would get broken up with or 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 something would end. Basically, they'd go nuts, and the person would have enough, and just like you know, it either get violent or whatever else. And then I'd be like, they're complaining, they're all bummed out. I was like, you could uh, right now text ten people in your phone right now to come over tonight and Netflix and chill or whatever the hell you want to call it. And I guarantee you nine out of 10 of them will reply immediately and do it, you know, and then other people have to go out and they have to, you know, fight through all these horrible dates and everything else just to find someone that can even get laid. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's absolutely hilarious to think about the, the, it's like the, the income inequality thing, even, you know, it's all, there's a a really tiny percentage of people that, yeah, it's just, I, 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 I get your frustration with that. And it's also that relatability really, you know, drives things home with the comedy part because, I mean, it's it's something where people are immediately interested in what you're saying because they felt the same way, you know?
1: Oh, sure, yeah.
2: But, I mean... And I
1: think, I don't know, I I, I feel that... Because that even, even in that, though, even in, like, the, the, the hookup thing, there's still this thing of, like, yeah, they could... It's actually one of the problems whenever the way that, like, men... And women look at breakups hot or not is is that like yeah it's way easier for women to get laid like they can just be like hey you want to like, come over and like do things to me and people will be like <laughs> yes absolutely i thought you would never like like that is such a like like that's the hope so much so that that is the scenario in every porn every porn scenario is just a woman wanting to have sex first yeah that's that's the whole fantasy that's, there, there doesn't need to be any, like, candles or, like, most of it. It's just, like, hey, you want to come over and do the thing that I know you want to do, you know? Yeah. But even within that, even within, like, it's so easy for someone to, like, move on in that way where they can just text people on their phone and then, you know, get a hookup. Even in that hookup, though, it, it is just as hard for—I'll uh, just make it men and women to make it, like, an easy analogy— but it's just as hard for a woman to find somebody that cares about her as it is for a dude to get laid.
2: That's true. That's
1: true. So then it's like, so then if, if it is this thing of like, yeah, we broke up and she started hooking up with people, it's like, oh, well, none of those people care about her. That's why she hooks up with people, not yeah. one
2: person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Leveraging that's the, just the hotness.
1: Yeah, because, and that, in that, in that respect, I do actually feel bad for hot people because being hot is like having money where you just don't know who your real friends are. Like, you just, oh, do they want some money? Are they trying to get money out of me? You know?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Kate Willett, I don't know if you've heard of Kate Willett, but she has a joke about, uh, you know, people say it's hard or uh, easy for women to get laid. And she said, if that's the case, I'd like to take uh, all that time. I had to sit around listening to stories about or theories about aliens because she's talking about hooking up with, you know, stoner dudes all the time and or skaters and stuff and how much conspiracy theory bullshit she had to sit through just to get laid.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I think even to that point, it's like, oh, well, we're both missing the uh the part where you just have that uh that like almost porn reaction where you're like stop talking about aliens and do something
2: yeah exactly
1: you know I mean yeah exactly it, it comes around so few times in a man's life like it almost takes you being with like like actually like to make this scenario happen it almost takes you having an active girlfriend like like an actual current girlfriend which already like throws that portion of the fantasy out of the scenario. But it takes you having an active girlfriend and then talking too much for a woman to feel comfortable and just like covering your mouth and taking your pants
2: off. Yeah, <laughs> Just shut the fuck up. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, cause, right, yeah. Cause
1: it's not that it's not that women don't think that they think it all the time, but like, they're still like, I think, I think most human beings fall for their stigmas because the, cuz cause, cause the stigma there is like if, if a woman's too aggressive the the stigma is that a woman can be too aggressive. Yeah. That's the that's the idea. It's like if she asks you out and she whatever and I, you know, I actually told one of my friends I was like, "Oh, yeah, you need to you need to do everything that you are internally telling yourself not to do because it's the only way you're going to find like a dope dude." Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like I laid out the whole scenario for. I was like, "Look, you need to ask this dude out because if you if he's weird, like you ask him out, he's never gonna be happy if you make more money than him." Yeah. So, like, already you you know, like you can weed dudes out that way. Then you know you go on a date, you pick a place, okay, and then at, the, at when the when the check comes, you pay. You have to pay. Because if he can't handle you paying, he's not going to handle well. you making more money than him. So you have to pay. And then if you like him, after you pay, you go home and have sex with him. And then because this happens, never, ever, he'll be like, I think I have to marry you. (laughs) And if he falls off on any step of the way, then it was never going to work out anyway. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why people have to, like, date for six months and then get to this point where it's like, oh, you don't like that I read? (laughs) And then then they break up. It's like, yeah, you should have known he didn't like when you read whenever he was weird about you taking his pants off. Like, the signs are there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I also just think it's our biology, you know? Like, like because of the way that we're built, women are constantly looking for red flags and men are constantly looking for green lights. And so, as a result, men just. He past red flags like they're going down a black diamond <laughs> slope. And then women, like, you know, they see so many red lights that they have no idea what's on the other side of the street. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah, everyone's got some red flags. Like, that's what being a person is. It's why most people aren't fun. It's why the internet was a bad idea. <laughs> like, the internet was a terrible, terrible terrible idea and i'll say it till the day that i die because everyone's not cool so what made us think that creating a thing where there's no threat of being punched in the face for what you say was going to be a good idea yeah exactly Like we don't get along in person i don't know why when you add anonymity it was supposed to go well
2: yeah just think about how many how many lives have been destroyed by the internet well, and we can never live without it now. I uh, I truly believe that if the internet was gone, I I think there's it's gone too far now to where there's people that have lived with it too much of their lives. Like I'm 35. So like I remember when the internet came out and I remember life before that and cell phones. And now there's so many people that have have grown up with it. I think it would just implode. Like we could not live without it. But it's destroyed so yeah. many lives. You know, it's... But
1: I also feel like if we, if it went away, if it didn't go away, the only people that would be okay is anybody being born right this minute and about seven years old. Because even at seven, you'd be like, there used to be this really cool thing I could do, and now I can't do anymore, but I can't fully describe it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, like, like a bad thing could happen to you at, at a young age. And sometimes you internalize it, but sometimes you just completely forget. It. And I feel like if we lost the internet, that generation of, of kids that's like, I'll even say nine, from being born right now till nine, they would be okay. Their parents would be a wreck, which yeah. might mess them up, but we'd only really need like one more crop of people before we were okay again. Sure. Because it's not as if. It's not as if we even need the things we don't know how to do. Like, we don't know how to do most of the things that we use. Like, we don't know how to make them. We don't know how they work. We don't know why they work the way that they work, so we can't innovate on them. We're really just waiting on, like, three dudes to make things better a couple times every year. But we don't even know why a new iPhone comes out. Like, we didn't know something was wrong with the old one until two versions later, Uh you know? Yeah, yeah. So, like, so if it all went away, the people who are, like, the most used to it, like, people my age, like, I remember also that that sort of quasi-before-the-internet thing where, like, I was so little before the internet that it doesn't even count because I wasn't aware of myself. So I became aware of my surroundings along with the internet coming out, you know? yeah. And as a result of that, I don't think I would know what to do. I think I'd have to learn how to read a real map instead of just following a blue dot on my phone. Yeah. But I think that the people younger than me would be okay. I feel like the people older than me would just have to like try to remember before, because nothing's actually changed. Like, like if if the internet just had like a 20 year run and that's it, then like there are people old enough. That they remember before that anyway so if anything they'll just go back to their rotary phones Yeah, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. they'll go back to their to their real life bartering like like haggling at a farmer's market or at a thrift store like we i i think that even the way that we talk about ourselves in terms of technology and you know how there might be some singularity building up is like no nah, i don't i don't know because if we were okay before we could be okay after we probably won't i think you're completely right i think we're actually gonna fall apart yeah. but we could <laughs> it's conceivable <laughs> since we did it before that we could do it again now don't me wrong i think we'll kill each other because like if you ever if you ever look at blackouts in certain parts of the world it is hilarious how fast the lights could be coming back on <laughs> so soon and people still go riot. And it's like, what are you even riding for? Because you were about to go to bed. Yeah. So like the light like like the city blackout happened at nine PM. Most of you were about to fall asleep. Why can't you just slip this one day off? But everyone loses their minds. They leave their apartment, which is the first mistake. And then and then they either get in a fight or they start riding and some World War Z stuff happens. <laughs> and you're just like, This is unnecessary. You should all be asleep right now. You know, yeah. like worry about this in the morning. And if anything, in the morning, you should be extra chill because you're going to wake up whenever you want for the first time in years.
2: Exactly. You're
1: going to wake up because there's no alarm clock, you know, and your phone's not working for your boss to call you. And if your boss made it to work, then that truly is all they have.
2: Yeah.
3: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+.
2: Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers. Tier 1 Tier 2 and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast. gets you the video footage. Discounts on merchandise. And monthly Zoom calls with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. Um, So being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me. And having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Exactly. And that's this right here. Josh this right here would make an ultimate sequel to Idiocracy. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> basically where they they could put all the people from 9 years old to, you know, 40 years old in some kind of area and isolate them and let everyone else and and destroy the internet and then let society basically start over, reset itself, you know, with the with the one of the stupid premise of of that and and the other weird thing, too, is the internet changed so many things, but nothing you can actually really see. Like it expanded some people's brains with knowledge and, you know, having that availability, but it also hurt it. But at the same time, people made money off the internet. So that's going cool in their bank accounts. Nothing you see. Like it didn't change anything that's tangible that you can hold on no, to. No, no. It's hilarious. Yeah,
1: it, it, it only widened the spectrum. Yeah. Because now people are may be dumber than they've ever been because they can just look up everything. They don't have to actually learn anything. And people are also smarter than they've ever been because they can retain more knowledge than they've ever... Like, T.J. Miller said a while back that he believes that the way that we do things now is going to influence the rest of comedy because, like, when you... So if you talk about the three main inventors and, like, innovators of modern stand-up comedy... You're talking about Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul, and Jonathan Winters because they were the ones that influenced heavily George Carlin, Robin Williams, and uh, Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And so, like those those three fathers, like those three kings of of stand up, right? Yeah. Like what they did was like innovative enough that it was just different enough that it, it it widened the spectrum. And and ever since then, we've kind of been evolving from that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like. Like the internet, uh, the, the way TJ put it is that, like, Lenny Bruce, Mortal, and Jonathan Winters didn't have anybody to watch to become who they were, which is what made those three special. Yep. And the ones that came after them, like Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Bill Cosby, and Robin Williams, like, they only had those guys to watch, you yep. know? Yep. So they didn't have, like, they didn't have the hours upon hours to to retain like we do. We have so many people to watch that by the time someone gets on stage, they maybe don't have the stage presence, but they have, they could possibly have the mechanics to already know what they're doing. Whereas Lenny Bruce had to spend countless hours on stage. Like he would just, he would go. Like whenever he was in, uh, I think it was at the, there's a strip club that used to let him do as much time as he wanted, like pretty much every night. And there was another club that would let him do as much time as he wanted. Um, every other night uh-huh. and so like he would just go between those two clubs for like month and month and month. so he was building like hours and hours and hours of, of stand-up just from talking on stage in front of people and he was like one of the first dudes to like really do something like that and he's actually kind of the influence on Carlin who would who would you know have an hour's uh, and then throw it away in an hour, and then throw it away. That actually came about because uh, these vaudeville and like old type comedians with writers who had like one liners, but no real like personal stand up stories. Like like that old era of the fifties. Uh-huh. Those guys had an act, and that act lasted their whole lives if it was good enough. Because there wasn't enough TV to burn anything, you know.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And Lenny Bruce was the first dude to like point i don't know if it was i don't know if it was it's bishop something i think it was like jonathan bishop or or somebody like that who like publicly criticized lenny bruce and then lenny bruce shot back with like well you know you've been doing 30 minutes for 10 years and i've done 30 minutes on tv that i'll never do again Uh and that was the first time anybody had ever said anything like that so like what we have from, from all of that is, is what T.J. Miller was talking about, where it's like you're basically having comics compounded upon each other to the point where they're almost becoming like this super comic. Because now I can look back, I can spend my whole evening, morning, afternoon, all the way into two two days from now watching all these dudes go up. And even though a lot of the material isn't timeless... I can just watch the technique, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I have so much to watch that it it, it almost creates, like, this this compounded, uh, if you're paying attention, at least, if you're trying to do this, it creates this, like, compounded diamond of a stand-up. Yeah. And that's why I think the internet did for a lot of things, is that it, it, like, it made people in every industry, in every field, it can make you more proficient than people before you ever were, or... It could just be a thing you use as a constant reference to look up because now it's also given way to a lot of people thinking they can just do comedy because they, they looked up some internet jokes, they memorized them and now they're going to go up in front of people.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, it definitely inspires a lot of people to do that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Do you remember having, did you ever have like the original Nintendo back in the day Uh, Or, or have friends that had it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like I I view it the same way as it, when you get the or you get a buddy that has the game genie that you plug into it and it gives you all these codes which basically kind of gives you this god mode where you can get all this, you know, these powers and everything else. Kind of similar to where now you can literally go and research all these things and see so many things that you could never see before and it does it, it and that's when Nintendo kind of stopped being fun like the second i could get yeah. those codes i didn't there was no challenge left you know uh-huh. and so it kind of just killed it and i was like well i'm not going to play that game anymore i did that once you know and i think that's that kind of goes along the same lines where you know you have so much you could take it and be positive with it and go as far as you can or it could just kill a lot of you know people's drive to do things you know
1: yeah i, I mean i I wonder though, I think I think the internet is a lot like uh how how uh a lot how Joe Rogan described pot, where it's like if pot ruined your life, you were gonna ruin your life. Like you you were already gonna do that. Mm-hmm. Like like if it made you lazy and just eat and sleep all the time, then that's what you deep down were always gonna find a way to do. It's not really, you know, like, like pot that did those things. I think the internet's the same way where it's like Look, most of the Internet is porn. Yeah. So, like, that already speaks to our, our our baser instincts where we have this tool, but we make it a toy, you know? Yeah. So I think that even without the Internet, I think uh, we would have some form of what we are now. It just might not be as
2: exaggerated. Sure. Well, this circles back to what you were saying. I mean, the Internet's basically, the internet's basically that dude that you were that you were talking to that girl about like you know pay for this dinner because if he gets worried about it now this is going to happen down the road it's kind of, kind of the metaphor for that you know like it's going to yeah it's going to do it to you anyway like it's just going to to take the inevitable and and make it so
1: yeah because i mean we're we've, we've been around long enough now that like no one concept is new so like we've done this several times, just we didn't have the internet to do it faster with, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, things used to go viral. I don't know, have you ever heard the, the like, Shut Up Little Man tapes? No. Okay, there's a there's a, a documentary about it that you should definitely check out because it's absolutely hilarious and okay. beautiful. But there, there were these two guys who, like, I think fresh out of college, moved to San Francisco or L.A. or something, and their neighbors, like... The next, the next apartment over, their neighbors uh, were like this insane couple of guys where it was like one guy was gay and one guy wasn't, but like they lived together for some reason and a guy that wasn't was like super homophobic and violent and then the, the, the gay guy was like super sassy and like, and they had this weird friendship where they hate each other but they just kept paying rent together. Like it was, it was, it was like a sitcom. Uh-huh. And... They started recording them because their conversations were so hilarious. And, like, they were just so mean to each other, but it was just such a weird, funny thing. And what ended up happening is that those tapes that they, like, make a tape, they make a cassette tape of it, right? Because uh-huh. I think it was, like, the late 80s or the early 90s. They make a cassette tape of them talking. And their 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 neighbors actually found out that they were doing this, and it, they didn't even care. They, like, kept kept. <laughs> having a loud fight and uh so they make these tapes and then they give them to somebody and so then the somebody would make a couple copies of that cassette tape and give it to somebody else and there were tapes that they never got back and there were tapes that like a friend would mail it to a friend and it was one of the first instances as close to what we understand as going viral because it was like so funny and the tapes were so long and so vicious that people were making copies, and in those copies, they were, like, keeping one and then sending one away, and they'd have, like, listening parties, uh, and it was just... It was it was going viral before there was an internet to, to, you know, sustain it.
2: That's amazing. I had no... I've never heard of this. Yeah, check out the... Check out the
1: document. It's called Shut Up, Little Man. Okay. And it's so, so funny, because it's, like, clearly something's going on. Like, I think maybe that... <laughs> the like... The homophobic guy was actually gay, and they were a couple or something. Uh-huh. But it was just very, it was just very weird because they lived together too long and hate each other too much for people who like there was no legal contract for them to be together. So it's not like when you you know like you want to get a divorce or something. Yeah. Uh And so it's weird that they just kept hanging right together. <laughs> and there's just these. There's like all these instances, and they play bits of the tapes throughout the documentary because it's about the story, but it's also about the tapes and it's how the tapes actually shaped a lot of pop stuff that we don't really you would attribute it to it. But there's like all of this art and and like sound stuff that are from people who listen to those tapes who had those tapes like mailed to them or went to a listening party and created character and stuff. Uh
4: huh.
1: That's fascinating. So it's it's just this. There's one that's, like, so funny where the guy, the gay guy, uh, comes home. I guess he told, or maybe he took a nap or something, and uh, told the other guy to, like, take the roast out of the oven at a certain point, and he forgot to do it. And so you just hear on the tape him being like, I tried to make you a nice dinner, and you crucified it. (laughs) Oh, my God. And, like... It's so good, you know. So like, I don't know what platform it's on. I watch it on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore, but like, there's so many places to watch things. You, you should be able to find it.
2: Sure, I'm gonna check that out, man. That's hilarious. Did they ever find out who the neighbors were? Like, identify them or, or they? Okay, so I think they do it in the documentary. But those two dudes, like, so they I think
1: they lived there. They had been living there longer than the two who made the doc and mm-hmm. made the tapes. And then I think eventually they also moved out and like uh, they still live together. I think one of them like moved out or something. But like even after they identify there's a weird there's this very weird like like anticlimactic thing about identifying them. Because yeah. uh it doesn't mean anything. They're still just two dudes, Yeah, you know? So it's like even when they say their names and, like, they talk about, like, the little, like, they build it up so much that you want this, like, sort of epilogue thing. But even in the epilogue, they're like, oh, yeah, that was just two people.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, this wasn't like Louie and Chris Rock living together. It was just, like, (laughs) two people that were funny by accident, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. I'm going to check that out. That's, yeah, this is, uh, man, this is great. This is great stuff. This is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, kind of in your, in your world a little bit where, you know, seeing how your mind works and how you develop these things and, and taking these things and putting them on stage and and these different ideas of being frustrated and, and everything else. I mean, did did you when you were working with uh the tonight show did you do the same kind of thing were you able to take some personal experience and throw it into that or or was it mainly like here's the newspaper here's what we need to joke about um
1: um it was a little bit of both i feel like whenever you're writing for someone else there's a lot of personal experience that you can't put in there but you can put the idea in there like like the, the the forms are always available to you so like even if someone told a story that was completely about themselves but if they use callbacks and you're learning what callbacks are you can use those callbacks to your own benefit to your own form so like I think, you know, I took a lot of my attitudes and put them into my, my work at Fallon, but uh-huh. I also just, like, as far as, like, personal stories and stuff, there's also a tone of the show that, like, everything that I want to say didn't always match.
4: Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So,
1: like, there were other things I kind of had to just keep for myself because only I wanted to talk that way about things.
2: Yeah. And was that, like, was it an exhausting experience having, I mean, every night of the week having to have new material? And, and do you feel, you know, exhausted after that? Or was it mainly you could separate it between what you're doing with, with stand-up and, and what you're doing at work?
1: I feel like it can be mentally exhausting, but I also feel like it it trains the brain so mm-hmm. that you're always thinking like that. And by always thinking like that, you're more uh, you, I mean, by, by thinking like that, you're more liable to just go ahead and and uh, have those thoughts anyway, have uh-huh. trained your brain to, to be a certain way anyway. And I think that that's, the, that's like my main takeaway from it is that like what I really learned there was to just write jokes on prop all day. And, you know, sometimes they're going to be good, sometimes they're not. You know, I think that any fatigue you feel is from maybe a sort of like uh, unrealistic standard of how good everything that comes out of your mouth or off of your pen is going to be. Uh-huh. But if you're like, if you know the combinations and the formulas for, you know, a monologue joke and you're just putting the news in there and making the association, it it, it becomes exhausting, but not to the degree that you can't do it.
2: Okay. So, like, what was a day in the life of that job like? I mean, you show up to work, you're working with other writers. Are you just writing for the monologue? Are you writing material like, oh, we're having Bruce Willis on, we're going to talk about this, and Jimmy's going to say this, it's going to be hilarious, or, you know, what's the extent of that job writing for them?
1: I mean, you pretty much do what you're asked to do. Uh, I wrote for monologue, and so I put all my time and energy into, like, making the best, like, you know, jokes up top of the show yeah i didn't really have to worry about the sketches and stuff as much but i also try to contribute when i could to literally everything uh so i'd always try to have even if it was just a new game like even if it was a game i thought would be fun to play i would try to like you know create something for that or like a new sketch or a new segment or something
2: okay and so that, with that, I mean, you did that for a year, right? And you're no longer doing that? No, no. I, I left at the end of uh, 2016. Okay. And did you leave to just do comedy full time?
1: Yeah. Like, I I had some chances to tour that were going to be, like, it's not like they weren't going to come up again, but it was just going to be really important. And I feel like the way that you handle things like that, like tours and, and stuff, is like, it's you got to look at it with like a scope of how this tour is going to affect the next tour or affect your life. Like, like I think some people look at touring, as just like, Oh, it's a chance to go on the road and make some money and then come back home and spend that money. Yeah. But, but in reality, you got to think about a tour. Like what if every tour you do, you make depending on where you go and how well you do at each venue and how many people come out. Let's say for every tour you do, you make a couple hundred fans, you know? Yep. Then like you also need to go back to those places because now your fans might bring their friends. And and so like yeah, I, I feel like if I were gonna stay and write, it would have been uh stunting my stand up a little bit because like going up in this in New York City is great, but it is like one very secure bubble of people. Yeah. And like they think a certain way and the way that the way that New York and L.A. think is just not the way that literally the rest of America thinks, you know?
4: Very true, yeah.
1: So, like, if I was going to get, like, really, really good and really relatable and use all these, because honestly, that's the other thing that Fallon taught me is just how to be relatable. Like, how to how to make people who don't have all of your problems, like, care or or, you know, how to how to relate to people who you're nothing like because there's there's a couple things that just completely uh, connect and 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 sort of encapsulate our experience, you know? Uh-huh. And so if you can tap into those things, then it doesn't even really matter what you're doing. You may not even be funny, but people are willing to listen to you talk. Sure. You know? Sure. Like, I mean, I look at – I was watching some, some, like, old Lenny Bruce tapes today, and, I mean, I don't think I – laughed except for once but the way that he talks about things and the way that you can tell that he's thinking is so enchanting that you just keep listening
4: uh-huh you know yeah
1: and like and 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 maybe that's that's some people's whole style you know which is fine i just think that if you're going to learn to be that you have to be out there doing it as opposed to just kind of like learning the theory behind it and continuing to you know work at a desk and try and make people laugh that way
2: you sure. know sure and looking at everything with a microscope or, or like a lens that it, I need to make this funny. You know, that could almost yeah. be debilitating. Having to look at everything and try to make it something instead of letting it just come to mm-hmm. on its own. You know, like, oh, this headline right here is already a joke. You know, I need to turn this into a joke kind of thing would almost be like a yeah. a, a hindrance, it seemed like, you know. But so when you I mean, left Fallon, you, you went out to do comedy full time. I mean, that's kind of terrifying. I mean, especially living in New York, it's expensive as hell. Portland's bad, but New York, Jesus. And, uh, you know, yeah, setting out to do something like that, I mean, that's a, a huge undertaking.
1: I mean, it, it's also just, I felt the same way that I felt when I started, honestly, where I was like, look, I'm I'm probably, I'm, you're going to die no matter what. So, like, what worrying about how is, is beside the point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I feel like, I definitely had those fears leaving, but I also, you know, was lucky to have things lining up for me. Even as I was leaving, that were going to make at least the first couple months out of out of it uh, comfortable, yeah, and more more bearable to to make this effort to succeed. And, and you know, it all worked out. Um, I think that there's chances like that that are like the most important things for people to do, you know? Like 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 uh, those really insane, like yeah, that's a crazy thing. That is it's fair to say that's a crazy thing to leave a, a steady job, a good job yeah. to try to like strike it out on your own because striking at out on your own was what you did in, in the first place to try to get that good job, but I mean, without chances like that, you really wouldn't have, like, that great of a life. Like, like, like my girlfriend moved here from Australia and, like, didn't know anybody. And just, like, I mean, wanted to live in New York and wanted to try things out here. And that's, like, we wouldn't have met without that. Uh-huh. And I was doing really, really, really well in Chicago. Like, Chicago's home, you know? Yeah. Like, Chicago's more more home than Louisiana most of the time. Uh, like, you know, tons of my friends are there, like, like I can get on shows there. Like people get me there, you know? Yeah. But I You're still have to make the move to New York. Yeah. And, and, and without making that move to New York, I would have met my girlfriend, you know? Yeah. And so both of us took this leap that like, well, there was almost no reason for us to take, you know, she had a good job in Australia and I was doing really well in Chicago and we met up in New York. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I wouldn't trade that for anything, and and that only comes through, you know, having that tenacity to to just go ahead and take the leap. Because like even if you even if you fail, it's like I look at all of life the way I looked at Maywe- Mayweather McGregor. Like you're supposed to fail, so if you can make over $100 million sailing along the way, then you won.
5: Yes, you like, did.
1: <laughs> you're supposed to, like, like even when people tried to trash him after the fight, it's like, he was supposed to lose. That's what everybody was saying the whole time. Why are you trashing a man that was supposed to lose? Yeah. You know? But he also, he also won because he landed more shots on him. He That dude, as someone who, that was his first professional boxing fight, he landed more on, on Mayweather than any professional boxer ever. Yep. He so sure even did. in his failure, he did better than any of the boxers who were trashing him, and any of the boxers who had fought Mayweather before. And people can say all they want about Mayweather gave him rounds and stuff. It's like you never give somebody rounds with your face. Yeah, like, like I I get I get if he was trying to wear him down, but you definitely don't do that with your face, especially when you're the best defensive boxer in history. Sure. So like, and I look at all of life that way, where it's like, look, I moved to New York there's a there's a there's another scenario where I'm not even talking to you and I'm still working at Trader Joe's trying to scrap money together and thinking about getting a second job, you know yeah but then but then there's also the idea of like you move here, you move here with nothing like I didn't like and I'm not saying this to pump myself up. I'm saying this to highlight how much of a like insane move this was like I really had nothing. I just had a manager that was like, you need to move out of Chicago like you're done there, you know? Yeah. And, he, and he, he was right, you know? Like And and so I made this move, and all I really did was transfer Trader Joe's. Like I worked at Trader Joe's Chicago. I just transferred to Trader Joe's in New York, and then that was it. I just transferred and then was doing local shows and stuff and then, like, got Comedy Central Comics to watch and then took some meetings and pitched a show. And they didn't buy the show, and then, you know, went went back to the drawing board again, and then booked a college tour and did the college tour, and even then didn't quit Trader Joe's, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, so so it's like it's like you're supposed to fail, like I don't I don't understand how people could <clears throat> possibly not try. Like you're absolutely supposed to fail, but even along the way, as you fail, you're gaining ground
2: toward success. You know? Sure. Sure, as long as you're branching out, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. Like, you could you could go right now and say, ah, uh, I'm gonna go work at McDonald's and see if something else happens. That would be you know trying to fail, but you got to at least get out there and do it. And that's and I've i I really believe that. I mean, you're an incredibly inspiring individual, Josh. Like the oh, thanks. just the way I mean, you're so sure of yourself. It's it's inspiring because, you I mean, you even if you fail, I mean, you did what you're going to do, you know, and, and just from being on the on the, the podcast with you for, you know, 56 minutes. I already know, like if I see something go down to where, you know, something goes good or bad, I'm pretty sure I know how you're going to feel about it. You know, and after that, that 56 minutes of just chatting with you, you know, it's it's plain to see, you know, and it and it makes sense why you are where you are. You know, and and uh, that charisma. You know, it's really uh, well. No, really man, inspiring.
1: I I appreciate it. Uh, it means a lot to me, man. I mean, I I was having a conversation with my friend the other day about about the whole thing of it, where it's like I have adult friends who you know say or feel or think that they can't do something, and it's like you. I mean, you were a baby, and babies truly suck. <laughs> like babies, they can't hold their head up. Like yeah. they just they're just useless. And you went from being a baby to where you are now, as someone who can at least lift a spoon and feed himself. Mm -hmm. And even that, like, then then you're just a baby at this thing you don't know how to do, you know. And then and so, uh, even when I started doing comedy or like, because I was like, I mean, those first few months, dude, I was like really bad. I was bad on a level that was like, dude, you should. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, like it was, it was a, it was bad on a level that when I remember it, like, and I know that plenty of people, especially self-aware comics, like cringe when they think about what they were like when they started out. But like, truly, man, I like, I like cringe. Even at tapes, I have some old tapes that people say are like decent, are like pretty good. You know, to uh-huh. say that I was like a year or two in, I still just like cringe because it's like you don't know what you don't know, and so then. You, you, you finally find out, and you're like, oh, you're not supposed to do that? I've been doing that every time. I got up for five <laughs> nights in a row for two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I look at that the same way, where it's like, as someone who wants to be involved in in, you know, more TV and in business, it's like, I'm sure I'm going to, like... I'm sure I'm gonna lose a substantial amount of money. Like I could, I could already see <laughs> I could already see people being like, You signed it already? I'm like, Yeah. Like you're supposed to let a lawyer read oh oh, oh, oh I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I know exactly. And what once you, mean. you know, if you if you never let it happen again, then it wasn't a total waste, you know?
2: Yeah. You learn from it. You don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah, I mean,
1: and and if you do, then like, uh, if it's a big enough one, then like, God help you.
2: Yeah. What's that they say? The definition of like, insanity uh, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. You know.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, I I I wish that it wasn't. Uh, I wish that it wasn't like that. Like like like, you think about <laughs> when you, you think about life in, in those terms, it's like. Yeah, but some people just like aren't smart. Like I think that's what just sucks is that like there are people, and I, look, I'm I'm kind of one of them half the time. Like sometimes I really know what I'm talking about, but that's for like three things. So like <laughs> the rest of the rest of the things, I have no idea. You know?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh my God well Josh dude I I really appreciate you coming on the show man. I've already taken up an hour of your time I I don't want to keep you but I I have really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been really inspiring like I said and and uh, you know I do a lot of musicians on this show, a lot of business types and then you know primarily musicians but been doing lots of stuff with comedians to where it was something I've always admired and, and been passionate about. but it's interesting to talk to different comedians and see you know how they are and some of them, kind of do their routine or or try to make a routine out of an interview but being able to chat with you and you know delve into these different ideas and kind of get inside your head a little bit and and it has been really really awesome and and totally different than any interview i've done with with comedians so far and uh you know i appreciate that for sure but also felt like i got something out of it too and and uh, i appreciate that a lot um you know, yeah,
1: no worries, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me
2: on. Absolutely, dude. And so the album is called "I Like You," and it's on uh, it's yeah on everywhere. It's it's Spotify. I mean, I've been listening to it on Spotify. Um, but can you pick it up in stores anywhere? or Is it mainly just like uh, iTunes, uh, you know, online stuff? It's pretty much
1: iTunes, all platforms. Uh, I think it's on Title now, but I'm not. I'm not completely sure. Someone sent me a text that I was on Title. And I didn't know that, so I feel like maybe they were looking at the wrong person.
2: Okay. And then you have a special coming out. Uh, when is that coming out? Is it coming out in October?
1: October thirteenth. October thirteenth. Yeah,
2: okay. And is it a special? Yeah, Comedy the, Central. Is it, a, it? So it's a separate special from the record. It's not. Um, the record's so not the, the
1: record. The record has a lot of the same content as the. Uh, special Mm -hmm. it's just that the special is a half hour and the record is an entire hour
2: okay perfect and that's what i wanted my listeners to know because i'm going to put all these links up in the show notes and everything else and and uh get the word out there for you and and uh dude i I, like i said it's been an honor talking to you and uh, i'm so glad that i came about your stuff you know completely out of nowhere (laughs) where it's like check these guys out you know and so i feel like i learned something there I gained something here and, and, uh, that's what it's all about, man. So, uh, best of luck to you, dude. And are you, are you going to be coming over to the West coast doing some shows or like helium in Portland or. Uh,
1: there's a, there's a chance I'll be in LA in early October, Okay, but I don't have any solidified dates yet. Okay. Um, but I'll definitely like hit you up, let you know. Uh, I love Portland a lot and, uh, I don't know. I feel like Portland has like like this thing where they they sort of half get me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they get me to a degree. I feel like they get me enough, you know. Like like they don't get me so much back there, but they get me enough where I want to come back.
2: Dude, yeah, I think you'd be great, and and uh, I would love to see. I I love to meet you, and then also see the show live. I Man, that'd be great. So definitely keep me informed on that.
1: No, absolutely, dude. Yep,
2: please keep in touch, man. All right, buddy. I will. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes and, and get the word out for you. I really appreciate it, and best of luck to you, all right? You too, man. Thank you so much for having me. All Have right. a great night. You too, Josh. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Johnson, the always hilarious, always amazing Josh Johnson. His record is out now. It's called I Like You. He is absolutely fantastic. Check him out when he comes to your town. Check him out online. Uh, You know, listen to the record on Spotify, buy the record, whatever you can do. I mean, anything helps, especially with a stand-up comedian where, you know, you're out touring by yourself like we talked about on the episode. Anything, anything helps. And Josh is absolutely fantastic. I really had a great time with him. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. And hopefully that gets him some good exposure uh, because he definitely, definitely deserves it. A lot of interesting ideas. Um, so definitely check out the Patreon, the Pleasure Seekers Club. Please, please, please go check out the Pleasure Seekers Club. It's patreon.com slash Podcast for merch and all sorts of bonus content, everything else. We just love having you guys on there. Everyone that's signed up, you guys are, are just badasses. I love it. Um, and purepleasurepodcast.com is a website for everything else. You can find all our links to everything, all our socials, all of what's going on and next week we got another awesome episode we've got some cool stuff coming up at the end of the month um and you know you guys will be made aware of that uh, very shortly and uh it's going to be it's going to be awesome it's going to be a banger and we are so glad to have you every week if you've listened this far thank you so much and uh as usual we'll see you on the radio